Father, we thank you. You're a wonderful, awesome, fantastic God, and that you love us so much. That you're full of goodness and full of love. We pray, Holy Spirit, come now and fill this place. Come and speak to us. Make us more like Jesus. Bring your anointing into this place, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke 13, verse 10. Page, stop moving. It says, Now Jesus was teaching one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Now Jesus is in the synagogue and he's just teaching. He's just sitting there doing his thing. All right? He's at work. And there's a, I just want to bring out certain points because this woman didn't come to Jesus and ask Jesus to heal her. She was just there in the synagogue. Synagogue's church. She just rocked up to church to do her church thing. And for 18 years, she has been bound by this spirit so that she's, you know, bent over and like this, you know. She's a question mark. She's not necessarily come expecting anything different. She's come to church probably expecting to go home the same way she came. <coughs> she doesn't ask anything of Jesus, but Jesus notices her. And the first thing I want you to put out of this is that God is good all the time. All right, Jesus only ever did what the Father wanted him to do. I'm going to make this slightly shorter because Dale's taking some of my time and, you know, we want to get out of here tonight. So rather than me giving all the fluffy bits, I'll give you the facts, hey? God is good all the time. Jesus only did what Father told him to do. Think about this. Jesus passed by a lot of people who were ill. He didn't just heal somebody because they were there. Everybody who came to him for healing, he healed. Right? It says he healed all who asked of him. Matthew chapter 8. But just because he passed by somebody, he didn't heal them. We know that because he walked, he walked into the temple constantly and he walked by the guy who was at the gate beautiful. And that guy got healed when Peter and John prayed for him. <coughs> but he did heal where God put it out to him to heal. And Jesus notices this woman, the Holy Spirit, <coughs> excuse me, the Holy Spirit brings this woman to Jesus' attention. And he calls her over. And the Holy Spirit reveals to him what is happening in this woman. Now, it's really interesting because this woman is bent over. She is ill because she has a spirit of infirmity. I don't know if she was possessed by the spirit of infirmity or if it was just tormenting her. Either way, she had to deal with the spirit. Jesus notices what's going on and sets her free. I want to really get this into our heads because for some reason we are conditioned and the world teaches us the opposite. We understand that God is good and the devil is bad. Right? When good things happen, they are God. When bad things happen, they are not God. They are the devil as a result of sin. Now, to make it really easy for you to get through that, because I know it's a struggle for many of us Christians to deal with this. You know, tough time comes and, you know, I mean, even our insurance forms, you know, you're not covered for acts of God. As if saying that when something bad happens, it's God's fault. I could laugh, there's a guy called Jesse Duplantis who... Uh, He's got an aeroplane because he, he lives in the U.S. and flies all over the place for his ministry. And uh, so he's got a small aeroplane and um, he had it in the hangar and, and he had to do an insurance thing to be able to park into this hangar at the airport. 
And so they bought the insurance, you know, he'd been there about a year, and they bought the insurance around for renewal for him to sign. And he looked at it, and, and it talked about acts of God in his insurance. And he said, I can't sign that. And they said, what do you mean you can't sign it? It's a standard insurance. He says, yeah, but what you're saying is when something bad happens, it's an act of God. Well, that goes against everything I believe. So he says, if you want me to sign your insurance policy, you have to take that clause out. I said, we can't take that clause out. And he said, why not? You wrote it in. Do you want my insurance or not? He said, my premiums were rather high. And he said, and eventually, they said, as long as you don't go and tell too many people, we'll take out the clause about acts of God. And we'll call them natural disasters. He said, they're not natural disasters. They're the work of sin and the devil. You've got to take it out altogether. He's got no act of God clause in his thing. And he says, and I've been telling everyone ever since, but you know. <coughs> <coughs> but they're not acts of God. Understand, the, the best way to understand this is, you know, when God made all of creation, what did he say about creation? It's good. Was there any sin? Were there any disasters? Was there any sickness? Was there any poverty? So if none of these things are around, then none of them can be good. Does that make sense? And if none of these things were around when God created then they can't be of God. Because when did poverty and sickness and disaster and all these things come in? At sin. They came when the devil showed up. So none of these things are of God. And we need to really sear that into our head that when things happen in our lives, it's not God trying to teach us a lesson. They are a result of sin. And not necessarily your sin, but just general sin around the world of sin coming into life. That when you don't have enough, when you aren't feeling well, it's not necessarily a result of your sin, but a result of sin generally being around the earth. I'm not saying that you haven't let these things in because we've stepped out of the will of God. And if that's so, you repent. And the moment you repent, you're back in the will of God and these things no longer have a place in your life. Right? But this woman, she's, got a spirit, she's bound by the devil. The spirit of infirmity has either possessed her or is just tormenting it. I'm suggesting, by the way, that Jesus dealt with it. Maybe it was just tormenting her. There is a heaven, there is a hell. There is a God, there is a devil. And when Satan sinned, when he went, I want to take over heaven, and he lost the battle, he got kicked out of heaven. And a third of the angels went with him. Now that can sound scary until you think that two-thirds didn't. And it's the losing side that left. So many analogies, so little time. Like Melbourne, the losing side left. And there were probably less that left that was left behind. You could draw that conclusion if you want to. Not really. But the losing side left, all right? The winning side stayed. So we have more angels for us than we do against us. We also have the winning God for us than the, who's stronger than those who are against us. And this woman is bound by the spirit of infirmity. She is sick because the spirit of infirmity is tormenting her and going with her and binding her up. And you know what? We too, even though we're Christians, can be afflicted by evil spirits. Because that's what the angels became, evil spirits. The really, really powerful, strong ones, they got bound into hell. So think about it. Here's Satan. His best generals, God takes, puts them in change into hell. So he got left with the weak guys. You ever think about that? So any demon that comes against you is one of the weak ones, of the losing side. But nonetheless, they do come. 
So what sort of spirits come against us? Well, they're spirits of depression, spirits of lust, spirits of poverty. This lady had a spirit of infirmity, of illness, sickness. They will come and they will torment you. We also can have things called familiar spirits. Now, you've got to understand the thing about Satan. is Satan is not like God. He's not omnipresent. He can't be anywhere all the time. You know, God is everywhere, right? Satan can't do that. He's a created being. He has to roam to and fro and run, run, round. So he has to spread his forces around the world. And if anything from history has taught us, if you look at the wars, one of the reasons that you know, Germany lost World War I and World War II was they spread themselves too thin. They were trying to fight the Allies on this front and the Russians on that front and, and so on, and they were just spread way too thin and couldn't handle it. All right? Satan's the same. He has to spread his demons around the place. Right? And so he's not everywhere. He wants you to see, he works on lies and deception. He tries to make you think that he's everywhere all the time and all powerful. Whereas if you think about it, in Genesis, he was a, a snake with legs. And even then, he lost his legs. So he's a legless snake. You ever seen someone legless? They're harmless, aren't they? <laughs> That's what Satan's like. He can't harm you if you stay in God. But he does do things to try and afflict us. And sometimes we need to be aware of who our enemy is. And I want to talk just for a minute about familiar spirits. Now, familiar spirits, I sort of had a revelation this week. I've always sort of known they're there and what they do, but I never thought about it in the context. Familiar spirits, in the context I've always thought of them, is, is when someone dies, familiar spirit will sometimes come back to those, to come to those who are living and, and will take on the character of the person that died. To make those who are living think it's the person who was dead speaking to them. Now, I don't know what it is about when people die, but when people die, I find their family, if they're not Christians, and even some who are, go and see, you know, diviners and, and so on to try and talk to the person who's dead as a part of their process. And a familiar spirit will come and bring revelation because they know that person because they've been hanging around with that person throughout their life. But familiar spirits will hang around with you now if they can. And they know, they know how you think and, and what gets you and what doesn't get you. They know your strengths. They know your weaknesses. And this is why often we can fall into the same sort of habitual sins. It's because the familiar spirit knows your weakness <coughs> and will set those triggers off until they become a part of your life. And when you know that, then you know who you're dealing with. They even know how God speaks to you and may try and imitate how God speaks to you. Because they know how you operate. A great example is, is some of the stuff that Dave was talking about with this land. You know, there's about three or four words that God has given that I can say they are God when it comes to this whole us going into a new building. But there's a whole lot of noise around that that I've had to sort through with God. And a lot of that is Satan coming in, putting a bit in here and and it's that familiar spirit thing of putting a bit in here and putting a bit in there and trying to cause confusion because that's what Satan does. You know, when you're trying to get clarity on something and you think you've got it and then you get this bit over here and, and it sort of sounds right, but it's not quite right, that's your familiar spirit. And they try and cause confusion and distraction and get you to give up or to lose the path that you're on. That's why it's really, really important to be spending time in the Word of God, really, really important to be spending time in worship and in prayer and not to rush that process. Because Satan's got a couple of, step, 
tactics to really pull you off. First off, is to try and get you to sin. And so he used that familiar spirit who knows your weaknesses to bring temptation your way and get you into a pattern of sin. You know, you can actually get into a pattern of sin where Satan doesn't have to do anything anymore because it becomes a habit for you. They did research on, um, on um, what is it? pornography, I think of the word it was. Okay, and they worked out that like, if, if a, a guy is sitting at a screen, or just a person, it doesn't have to be a guy, it could be a girl, is sitting at a screen and they watch pornography on this screen. And if there was a, like a blue hat, say, hanging on the side of that screen, if they do it enough times, that blue hat actually becomes a trigger for them to start thinking about pornographic images because the brain creates like a, like a trench in their head for process and that, that hat will become a trigger for them to start thinking in that way. And that's what a familiar spirit will try and do, create a habit of sin that you start to link certain things together that you don't need the familiar spirit to do anything, it'll just happen. And if you find that happens, that's where you've got to repent and you've got to start to change things in your life. You know, if you think about, if you're stepping into habitual sin, you probably have a pattern that takes you there. You've got to identify the first steps in that pattern and break it then. Because by the third or fourth step or whatever it is, you're into that sin. All right? So they'll do that. If they can't get you sinning, then Satan's tactic often is to get you busy. Because when you get busy, you get noise. You don't get time to sit in the presence of God and actually wait upon Him. You know, it says, I mean, the Bible talks so often about waiting on God. Those who wait upon the Lord renew their strength. They mount up like wings on eagles. When you wait upon the Lord, Psalm 1 says, then you prosper because you know His Word and you live out His Word. It says, when you wait upon the Lord, then we will know His good, pleasing and perfect will as we give ourselves as sacrifices to Him. The reason that God says these things, that things go well in your life when you wait upon the Lord is because it starts to cut out the noise the familiar spirits bring. That when you wait upon the Lord, you can then discern and know His good, pleasing and perfect will, Romans says. And then you can act upon it because you start to shut out the noise as you worship Him. Demons don't like being around worship. You start worshipping God, you clean the atmosphere. The other thing demons really hate it's praying in tongues. That's why it's so controversial. Because when you pray in tongues, they don't know what you're praying. And it's like you're shouting into their ears and they run. So if you pray in tongues, then pray in tongues. It also edifies your spirit and gets you in tune with what God has for you. So when you've worshipped, and if you pray in tongues, you've prayed in tongues, you've got the presence of God. You can read his word and he brings revelation. And he can speak into your situation. You can pray with faith and confidence. Because our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers. You know, if we saw a lady walking in like this, our first thought often is not how can we help you, you know, with her healing, but how can we assist you to have a seat and can we bring you some food and can we look after you? But if someone is suffering like that, what they need is the healing power of Jesus Christ. But we're actually a society that is conditioned. I'm not saying let's not, you know, bring helps ministry, that's very valid. As a society, we are conditioned to help people in that way and to accept their condition without understanding that all sickness and disease and poverty is the work of Satan. Yes, he uses people to do them, but they're the work of Satan. And that these things in your life, where there is lack, where, there is, where you're going without, where there is hunger, where there is 
poverty, where there is sickness, these are the work of Satan affecting your life. And it's a spiritual battle we're in. And if you've got habitual sin happening, it's a spiritual battle you're in, and you need to fight it with spiritual weapons. And the way you fight it is through worship. The way you fight it is by praying in tongues. The way you fight it is by getting into the presence of God and then taking in His Word and realizing. And we need to get into our heads and realize that the most important thing we can do is actually that. Because the world will try and make us busy because that is Satan's tactic through the world. That you have to do this and you have to do that and you have to do that. Have you ever asked yourself, what if I don't? What will happen if you don't do it? You know, just because your phone rings doesn't mean you have to answer it. Just because it beeps or jingles or whatever else it does doesn't mean you have to look at the message. You know what I've discovered? The message is still there an hour later. And if a person rings and it's really important, they'll leave a message. And if they don't, well, it can't have been that important. And just because somebody says you have to be somewhere, do you? Oh, you've got to read this book. Why? Oh, you've got to go and see this movie. Why? <coughs> you know the amount of movies I've seen that people said I should go and see, and I can't remember any of them. I can't recall one movie. I was thinking, hey, what movie? What was the last movie I went and saw that someone said I really should go and see? And I can't remember what it was. Because it actually made no impact on my life. But you know what? I can remember the last time I read the Word of God and it spoke to me. I can remember the last thing that God said to me when I sat in His presence. We need to pull our priorities in and understand that our life is a spiritual warfare. God is offering us His presence. He is offering us His power. He is offering us a life-changing, anointing ministry to walk out there in the world and change people's lives. You know, we've, we've sat here as a church and, and we moved into this community center and we grew a little bit, but then we stopped. And there are, there are practical reasons behind that. But there's also a whole lot of spiritual reasons behind that. And I know I've said it. Oh, well, you know, we probably can't grow anymore at night in the community centre. It's a dark building and, you know, it's, it's you know, this and it's that and it's the other. And what I'm really saying is God can't do it here. Yet there's things we can do to go forward. And that's why we're getting a building and, you know, making those changes and, and making that presence, and they will have that impact. But you know what? None of us are going to make an impact if we aren't our people of prayer. None of us are going to make an impact. You know, we could have the flashes building in the middle of the busiest intersection of the world and still be just us meeting there. Because not, it's buildings, that, buildings don't change people. It's God that changes people. It's a church, and the church grows because we pray. And we become a people of prayer when we understand that our life is a spiritual warfare and that the most important thing you can do in a day is not go to work. The most important thing you can do a day is not ring somebody up. The most important thing you can do in a day is to sit down and worship God and to spend some time in prayer and to read his word and allow him to speak to you. There is actually nothing more important you can do every single day that is the one thing that is going to change your world and the worlds of people around you. Because when you start to do that, you will become such a bright light, it doesn't matter how dark the building is. We will shine. It doesn't matter how dark your workplace is. It doesn't matter how impossible a situation is. 
That is the one thing that is going to change the world because there are people out there who are suffering from spirits of infirmities and spirits of poverty and spirits of sickness and they're carrying them down and they're dragging them down and the problem is that we're getting dragged down with them. And the only reason we're getting dragged down is because we're not coming into the presence of God every day and clearing out all the noise and saying, what do you want me to do today? Sarah spoke about Mark Barclay earlier. I mean, this guy, very prophetic ministry, very powerful, but he gets in the presence of God every day with a blank sheet of paper and says, God, what do you want me to do today? And if God says nothing, he just goes back to what he told him yesterday and does that. If he says something different, then he writes it down and he goes and does it. This guy has now got to the point, he's an American guy, he's got to the point where he's got senators walking into his church. And he says, this senator walks in, because he's got a TV program in the US, and he got on there and saying, you know, our government needs to get the anointing to fix the crisis that we're in as a country. And um, then I had some shots of him in one of the services, he's praying for people. He says, the senator walks in, he's walking through the foyer of his church with his son, and the senator walks into the church and he says, I need to see you, can we talk in private? And he goes in private, and he's sitting in private, and this guy says to him, so what's the answer? And he says, what do you mean, senator? I don't, what are you doing here? What's going on? And he says, I saw you on that program. I saw you speaking and saying that, you know, that... Our ministers, our senators need to get the anointing from God to do it. He says, we don't know the answer anymore. He says, we have tried so many things and both sides have tried and we've got together and tried to try things together and we've tried and tried and tried and we've run out of ideas. He says, it's not that we're, he says, we've failed. He says, it's not that we're not trying, but whatever we try is only partially successful or just totally fails. We no longer know what to do. So he says, I want some of that anointing stuff that you're talking about from God. So, and he goes, okay, give it to me. And he says, what do you mean? He says, and he realized he was standing there looking like the people on his thing when in the prayer line. Where he tells them to raise their hands, he's going to pray for them. And he says, oh, hold on, back, back the truck up a bit. You know, there's a couple of things we need to sort out here first. You know, do you, you know Jesus? And he says, never been to church in my life. But he says, I tell you what, I think I'm going to get Jesus in my life and then I want some of that anointing. Mark's response was, he says, you know, he says, I hate it when people come in sinners and they get themselves saved. <laughs> so what are we supposed to do as preachers? But he said, this is the level of this guy has. Why? Because this guy spends time in prayer. And God says, I want you to get on your TV show and I want you to say this. So he gets on there and says this. You know, you think you ought to have a TV show. Well, let me tell you another story that Mark says. He said, he's sitting there and, uh, and he gets this, he gets, God speaks to him. He says, you're going to get a call from a judge. I want you to take the call. He said, oh, okay, I'll take this call. And he says, nothing happened that day. He says, it was a few, couple of weeks later, a few weeks later. He says, his phone rings. He looked at the number and thought, oh, I don't know that number. He says, oh, I'm just going to leave it. And God says, it's the judge. I told you to take the call. Oh, all right. Oh, God, you know. So he picked up the call. And this, his judge says, I want you to come to such and such a location. When you drive up, turn your lights out. Get there just after midnight. His response was, I usually avoid these sort of situations. <laughs> so he does it, and he goes and sees this guy, and this guy takes him to his personal chambers, and he says, I had a dream, and you were in my dream. And this guy had no idea who Mark was. He says, it's taken me two weeks to find out who you actually were. He says, I have Google searched everything. He says, in my dream, you told me that if I made a certain decision in the case, then that I was going to be cursed, my family was going to be cursed, and that I was cursing the city, and it was the wrong thing to do. And Mark's sort of sitting there going, it wasn't me, you know. 
And this guy's going, so he says, so Mark says, well, what do you want me to do? And he says, I'm going to tell you the case, and then you're going to tell me what you think. And he says, I'm not a lawyer, I'm, I'm a preacher. He says, doesn't matter. So he said, for an hour, he told him the case and why he came to the decision at the end of this case. And uh, Mark said, you just sat there at the end of it. And the guy said, well, and he's, Mark says, look, you don't speak until God tells you to speak, you know. And he said, I opened my mouth and went, well, and, and he said, and God put a mouth, and he says, if you make that decision, you'll curse yourself, you'll curse your family, and you will curse all of us. And it's the worst decision you can make, it'll curse this country. Now, we understand that this judge had never, ever set eyes on this guy before, but it was because of a dream that God plays because this man gets in the presence of God. He's just an ordinary guy, but he gets in the presence of God. That judge reversed his decision based upon that. About six months later, he rang up again. So I need to come over, middle of the day this time, come over, I need to come and talk to you. So he goes to the chambers and he says there are six or seven judges there sitting around They said, we've got this decision, we don't know what to do. Mark's going, I'm not a lawyer. He says, it doesn't matter, we need the wisdom of Solomon. And God's on you. Can you help us with this case? This is an ordinary guy. The difference is, he spends time in the Word of God. He spends time in prayer. He shuts out the noise to the point where he says, God, what do you want me to do today? God's not a respecter of persons. He's just up there going, who's going to listen? Who's going to actually do my will? Who's going to shut out the noise and the busyness and take that time to be with me? You know, I worked out, if we spent two minutes praying every day, that would be over an hour of prayer as a church every day. You ever think that? Just two minutes That'd be one hour of prayer. Is my mic going funny? Or is it just me hearing it? So imagine if we did half an hour of prayer each. How many hours of prayer we would be putting up as a church every day? If you pray in tongues, then you, know, you struggle to pray, then start by praying in tongues. But imagine if we worshipped and prayed for an hour every day. If you just got up a little bit earlier in the morning, watched a little bit less TV at night, Whatever it is. Yeah, I say to Ben with his guitar, and Dale's got this thing where he just do 20 minutes a day or something, so he does 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes at night, and it's not so bad. Half an hour in the morning, half an hour at night. Bookend your day with Jesus. What would that do for your life? What would that do with the spirits of poverty and infirmity that are coming against you? What would that do for your family? What would that do for your workplace? What would that do for us as a church? Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against spirits of infirmity and spirits of lust and spirits of poverty that are binding our society. You know, the verse that Jesus put on my head, in my head was, was, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. We live in a nation that needs freedom. I had this vision of people there and they were bound with, with yokes and they had chains on. And then I could see the, the yokes being destroyed by the anointing of God. The chains breaking and the shackles just disintegrating. And they were standing in this, in this massive hall, all dressed in white, and just worshipping before the throne of God. And it was the people of our city. But they will only get there if we will stand in the gap and pray. If we will become the anointed people and break that yoke on our life. What will you do this week? What will you do tonight? Half an hour in the morning. Half an hour at night. We could change this world.
Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we have the victory. But Lord, we know we need to carry out that victory. Lord, I pray upon every person here right now that you will release upon them a spirit of prayer, a spirit to stand in the gap for themselves, for their families, for this church, for this city. A hunger for your word, for your presence. We rebuke the enemy and his plans to steal the word from us. I pray this will become a seed within our hearts, Lord, that bears a mighty harvest. That we be a people of prayer, a people of worship, a people who walk in your anointing power. We bless you and we honour you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well.